From BYU Broadcasting's Performance Studio, this is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Go big or go home. You've heard that, and usually it means people are deciding whether to jump off a cliff with a parachute or something like that. But there is an artistic equivalent. When I thought of this show coming up this week, that's what kept coming to mind. Because our guest today, Veteran Asupatich, is totally going big. She is currently working her way through a massive Beethoven music project. She's performing all of his solo and instrumental sonatas, along with his piano trios. That comes to about... 56 or 57 different pieces. We'll talk about that and see how she's doing, what number she's on in just a moment. Vedrana Supatich, thank you for coming back. Thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here. We did have you right at the very beginning of this journey. Are you feeling now, what have I gotten myself into? There was a moment in between then and now, but now I'm totally fully charged and ready to keep okay. going. I'm good. And at what what point are you in those 56 or 57 Beethoven pieces? Well, I have one more set of sonatas this year, solo sonatas, Opus 31s, which are coming up in about a month, and that will get me to a half point. So I'm halfway there. So this, I think it's really interesting, not that you would only set a goal to learn all of these things, but you are also performing them. That's a whole other, a whole other level. It is, I guess. <laughs> Definitely. And as far as the performances, uh, do you enjoy it more when you're performing with, for instance, the the piano trios? When you've got other instrumentalists, or is it just is it a nice break to alternate between the solo and the the chamber ensembles? It's been an enrichment in both directions. The uh, chamber music performances have really informed my understanding of what was meant in uh, passages and themes and development of the material in the solo sonatas and vice versa with the solo sonatas. I've been able to glean some insights about you know what he what he had in mind with the trios and the sonatas. So it's been a mutually beneficial uh, relationship between these two bodies of work. <laughs> So you really do see a difference between maybe his early versions of a, of a sonata or, or a piano concerto and the later ones. Absolutely. Huge Is, differences. Do you have a word for, for what you see, what he developed? Huh, I've been thinking about this a lot. Of course, it is, it is a lot on my mind. Um, and, you know, I'm not necessarily ready to write a book about it, but I have had a few thoughts. And one of the interesting things that have been observed, uh, that I have observed with the earlier works is that uh, there is a certain formality to them and certain level of um, placement for commercial purposes, if you will. He was a pianist who performed uh, when he composed these early works, and he intended them, of course, as vehicles for his own uh, magnificent musicianship and um, technique. And so it's, I find that his earlier works are aware, more more self-conscious, maybe, in that way, than the later ones, where he, uh, after establishing himself, I would imagine, said, okay, well, I've, you know, done what I need to do to earn the respect and admiration, and now I can do what I want to do. 
Nice, nice. Well, I was going to ask, in your piano playing years, starting as a child, you must have just sort of picked out the Moonlight Sonata, for instance, at some point and learned it when you were very young. Oh, I'm sorry to say I did not. Really? Really? Yeah, okay. No, so I the... listened to it a lot, but I, I did not pick it up and learn it as a young child. I I was uh, intimidated by it as, yeah. a, as a young child. I thought this is one of the most profound, beautiful pieces of music, and I can't be nine and playing this piece. <laughs> it's wrong. <laughs> so I waited. Well, we are glad to hear your current interpretation, and thank you also for, uh, we had you come in and play right when you were starting this, and we're mm -hmm. glad to have you at the midpoint, and it might be fun if we could even lasso you one more time at the end. And I would be thrilled to come back and, and play. And see, yes. and see your opinions and mm -hmm. maybe pick a favorite, who knows? Who what, knows what by then, do. yes. So we have two sonatas mm -hmm. we're going to hear today. We're so lucky. Let's hear uh, this first one. Dr. Vedrana Subatic is an associate professor of piano at the University of Utah. She's the music director of the Intermezzo Chamber Music Series in Salt Lake City and is founder and former director of the piano program at Snow College and former head of collaborative piano at the Chautauqua Festival in New York. And as part of the 2016 concert season, Vedrano will be performing Beethoven's Fifth Piano Concerto with the Timpanogos Symphony Orchestra. The piece we're about to hear, this is one of the few pieces in the whole repertoire that has 128th notes. I just thought you would like to know that when you hear the fast passages, that's five bars <laughs> across the tops of the notes. Here is Beethoven's Pathétique, his piano sonata number eight. Thank you. 
We've just heard music by Beethoven Piano Sonata Number no. 8. I feel like we should take a pause and let you go get a drink and come back. <laughs> but no, here we are to talk and have you play Very yet well. another sonata. Beautifully done. Beautifully done. Vedrina Subotic is our guest here on BYU Radio's and Classical 89's Highway 89 program. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Uh, Dr. Vedrina Subotic has no less than five performance degrees from, among other places, Belgrade Music Conservatory, the Belgrade University, Michigan State University, Indiana University, where she studied with Menachem Pressler, the founder of the Bozar Trio. And the piece you just played for us, I understand you played recently in Prague. I, I did play recently in Prague, yes. Is there something cool about going back to the continent and, and the area where these were originally written and performed? It was incredibly cool to be in Prague. Actually, I um, um, hunted down various places where you know Mozart and Beethoven might have walked and um, uh, thought, spent time thinking and creating music and... Um, uh, not too far from the Liechtenstein Palace, where I performed this uh, concert of solo Beethoven sonatas, um, there's a plaque. He apparently lived. He was known to move a lot. I didn't know that, but he, he was not a good tenant. <laughs> can't imagine why. Um, but he moved a lot, and one of the places where he lived in Prague was very near the Liechtenstein Palace. As a matter of fact, it was between the two Liechtenstein palaces. I don't know. I, I might have mentioned that my Google map sent me to the wrong Liechtenstein Palace. For so, your performance. For my performance, yes. <laughs> so I was I was uh, running around downtown old Prague, city of Prague, saying, where is the Liechtenstein Palace? And people would just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, we have so many palaces. <laughs> we just don't know. There are just so many. But I, I did find it eventually and uh, played a concert. It worked out. Well, good. I heard you even had a pneumatic piano bench there. Yes. Hydraulic. Hydraulic, yes, so. which I didn't quite know how to operate because <laughs> it just kept sort of bottoming out on me. And so the um, stage uh, hand who was uh, who was helping along with the concert, he set it up for me. And uh, he I took him to be very authoritative about this. Well, he set it up for me, and then um, I kind of tried to adjust it a little better. He said, no, this is perfect. It's perfect for you. And or something like that, and <laughs> and I was given a very clear sign that I was not to touch the bench anymore. And I looked at him and I thought, he looks just like what Chopin would have looked like if he had, you know, lived a longer life. And he spoke French to me, which I don't understand. I just understood no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and perfect. Um, and I thought, you know what? That's okay. He's Chopin, and. He he gets to tell me how high okay, my bench is. I'm just picturing a Victor Borger routine with a hydraulic just seat going sliding up, up and down. down it, it, it was a little bit like that in preparation for the concert, but it stayed in one place while I played. So. I do want to ask. Uh, we're we're going to head into the famous Moonlight Sonata, the Sonata Number no. 14, in a minute. But there is a marking at the very beginning that uh, I have not seen. It's that Senza Sordino. Oh yes. What the... does that even mean? What does it even mean, indeed? <laughs> nothing well, to do with sardines. Nothing to do with sardines. Um, concert, you know, it's, it's, it's a confusing marking because we today think about sordina being uh, the soft pedal, the mute pedal. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the time when Beethoven was working, uh, a sordino meant to uh, dampen the strings. So you would use the damper pedal 
to stop the vibration of the strings. So it literally means with pedal, the, the way we play it today, the way we understand pedal today. Mm. So lift the dampers up so that the strings can freely vibrate and create that feeling of blur. So senza sardina means without damping the strings. So with our modern pianos, do we still like that? Or, or do we, does that do we, get too confusing with the notes? Right, and, and in my various points of research, uh, um, I've come across a, um, a lecture by Paul Badura-Shkoda, who's some, uh, somewhat of a, you know, just a little bit of an authority. No, he really is a huge authority on, on uh, uh, the classical style. And uh, he was pointing out that when Beethoven wrote the Moonlight Sonata, he was playing on a piano which had knee levers, um, not feet uh, mm-hmm. foot pedals, but knee levers. And so it would have been necessary for a person or for Beethoven at that time to lift his knee and press the pedal. Interesting. <laughs> and so release all the damper so the strings could vibrate. And so applying the pedal was upward with, you know, with the right knee. And I would imagine that would make it very difficult to pedal a lot, pedal consistently. Um, you know, and change frequently. So it's something to think about when it playing It sounds like an piece. elliptical machine with a keyboard. <laughs> um, yes, I wonder how much of a workout we could get doing that. <laughs> well, classical music is everywhere. And so much of Beethoven, I mean, uh, e- even a movement from the last the last piece we heard, the Patetique, yes. Billy Joel used it, for took one of the, the melodies and used it. Also, uh, it's been used even in old Smurf cartoons. This one, yes, the Moonlight Sonata. I... I Yes, I remember watching, well, I was a child. I have an excuse. I was watching Smurf cartoons <laughs> <laughs> as a child. And, um, you know, there's always the villain in the mm-hmm. in the cartoon. And the villain's music, if my memory serves me right, his name was Gargamel. And Gargamel's theme music was the um, third movement of the Moonlight Sonata. Uh-huh. So. Well, let's let's hear this. We've talked about it. Hopefully, you've had just a minute to catch your breath. Now I'm thinking about Smurfs. Thanks. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you so much. It's a service we provide at no extra charge. <laughs> Beethoven wrote this just a few years after the Pathétique, this uh, Sonata Number no. Fourteen, and it's definitely one of his most popular compositions even today. But it was a favorite, a very popular piece even way back then. It was his publisher who said it reminded him of Moonlight, at least his first movement. And I guess everyone has agreed because over the years that has simply become the way this is known. Here is Vedrana Subatic performing that piano sonata number 14 by Beethoven.
Veteranist Subotic, our guest today, performing that famous composition of Beethoven's, his Moonlight Sonata, the Piano Sonata Number 14, live here on BYU Radio and Classical 89. Veteranist Subotic, when you are not practicing your Beethoven, you have all these other projects you're working on. I wanted to just briefly ask about this, and then one final Beethoven question. First, you're launching a series of teacher development seminars up at the U of U for, what is this, to teach teachers to teach? To teach teachers to teach, um, it's a forum for sharing ideas um, and insights um, about various issues and challenges that we face with our students. And I thought, I, I've done this informally over the years uh, by visiting different UMTA chapters and uh, who have been so kind to invite me repeatedly. Um, and so I thought, hey, why don't we just all get together at the U of U and we'll just, I'll just organize this and send out some ideas. And um, I've made it interactive so that people can request topics. Um, and just I really hope for it to be a place where all the teachers, piano teachers can come together and talk about teaching. It's nerdy, I know, but that's what we do. <laughs> but needed. Nerdy, but needed. <laughs> nerdy, but needed. Okay, that will be my slogan from now on. <laughs> and here's some other exciting news, especially for fans of classical music here, the uh, upcoming live streaming of concerts uh, from Li- Libby Gardner Hall. Libby Gardner Hall, live at Libby. We're very excited about this. Um, uh, we're taking ourselves into the 21st century. Uh, with uh, <laughs> with streaming of a few select concerts. These will be faculty showcase concerts, mm. which will feature our fabulous uh, instrumentalists and vocalists in a um, variety of programming. And uh, each will showcase a different group of, uh, you know, from different part of the faculty uh, and their specialization in different repertoire and instruments and so on and so forth. And we are also including a concert of our um, honor student concert. So our students who practice the most <laughs> uh, will will learn the honor of yeah, being the some student, incentive. right? Yes. yes. So we're excited to do this, and we're excited to bring that to families and friends and prospective students around the world. Well, we have to end with a Beethoven question. Very First well. of all. We cannot thank you enough for coming and playing. Thank this you is again. so nice to hear. These pieces that you hear, sometimes if you hear them enough, you start to almost not notice them. They can become musical wallpaper, but to hear them performed live, you have to hear it all new again. So someone who's listening might be thinking, wow, all of Beethoven's works for piano. Why? <laughs> what was it at the <laughs> beginning that made you think, I really want to do this and perform them Why? all live? Why? Oh, um, how much time do I have? (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know exactly why I am going to um, say that firstly, when I was a child, I always I always had this incredibly romanticized image of um, Beethoven as this Mm -hmm. hero of music, this lion of Mm -hmm. the musical world. And then when I was uh, a teenager and I started learning sonatas, you know, studying them, I thought this is really hard stuff. How, how come he wrote so many of these really difficult pieces? He must have been quite a tremendous pianist and a musician. And so it kind of fed my curiosity over the years, these little uh, moments of realization. Uh, and, then, and then I discovered Beethoven, the philosopher, you know, the greatest music, music. I, I, I would say this, the greatest musical philosopher there ever was. Um, and that aspect of Beethoven's music really drew me in. 
Um, I actually did my dissertation on totally unrelated subject, Toru Takemitsu, Japanese composer, who was also some, something of a philosopher. He wrote a lot about music and sound and silence. And so I realized that I have this um, desire to explore this part of mm -hmm. Beethoven's music. And also I think it will uh, make me... Um, renew my commitment to being a pianist and a musician and make me a better better person all around who can who can go wrong with Beethoven <laughs> well thank you for including us midway in this journey it's fun to hear where you, you are and to hear these beautiful pieces you can learn more about Vedranas Subatic and her Beethoven project and her career online at vedranasubatic.com v-e-d-r-a-n-a S-U-B-O-T-I-C dot com. That ends this live edition of Highway 89. If you only caught the tail end of the program, don't fret. You never have to miss an installment of the show. It's all archived online and on demand at byuradio.org slash highway 89. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BYUH89 for live show updates, information about upcoming shows, and special behind-the-scenes photos and video clips. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. Our recording engineer is Mark Waite, our student assistant is Abby Horlocker, and the show's producer is Jackie Tataishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening.